0: Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow, special bonus edition this week to touch on everything that's going on with Deshaun Watson. And I'm not talking about the football implications, the courtship that is currently happening, the fallout from that in Cleveland in terms of Baker Mayfield, the implications that his presence will inevitably have on his new team's chances to win games. And at this very second, I don't actually know what that new team is. You might by the time you're listening to this. I'm talking about the hit in my stomach that comes up every time he is breathlessly talked about in a football report. I logged onto the athletic website on Tuesday night to get caught up on any NFL news that I might have missed in free agency while I was at my son's baseball game. And the main story, and two of the four other highlighted stories were about Deshaun Watson, about the Browns pursuing him about the NFC South teams fighting for him, about what's next in his legal battle. And I felt this wave of something wash over me, something I have been trying for the last week to find words for, and frankly, I'm still coming up short. It's something like overwhelm. Like I said, there's a pit in my stomach. There is a sense that something's off, and I don't quite know how to articulate it how to walk the line of his right as an American to the presumption of innocence. And my strong sense that whether they can prove he is guilty or not, the preponderance of the evidence that I have seen leads me to feel like he is guilty. And I get it. This is a slippery slope, right? But we don't have to dig too deep to find readily available examples of people who have not been found guilty by the legal system that a good majority of us think are probably actually guilty. And I want people in this country to have the presumption of innocence. I see that value, obviously, right? But I also see where there might be some blind spots in our system and our society that might make it harder for people who have been victimized. To convince other people beyond a reasonable doubt that they have been victimized. And sexual assault cases are one of those blind spots. According to Rain, only 16% of reported sexual assaults lead to an arrest. 16%. And that is just reported assaults. And according to Rain, That's actually a small percentage of actual sexual assaults. Their research shows that for every thousand sexual assaults, only 310 are reported. And of those 310, only 50 will end in arrest. And 28 of those 50 will result in a conviction that is 28 convictions for every 1000 sexual assaults and even if you throw out the unreported cases because that number you know feels murky to you you want something tangible that's 310 people who walk into a police station raise their hand and say this happened to me and 28 of those people will see that action lead to a conviction, which, of course, is the reason that the 690 other assault victims don't walk into a police station, raise their hand, and say, this happened to me. So, two things I'm struggling with. How do we close that gap, first of all? What is the answer? I don't know. I can't stop thinking about it, though in light of this particular NFL story. And also, the other thing that I'm stuck on is how important are those stats and this information to this specific NFL story? Because one thing I think it tells us is that a lack of a conviction or even a lack of charges brought against Deshaun Watson do not inherently mean he is innocent. No one has proven he is guilty. That is important to say here, right? Like, we don't know that he's not innocent from a factual standpoint, I guess. But I'm seeing it on Twitter. Please don't run around saying and thinking that the fact that he is not facing criminal charges means he is automatically, obviously, wrongly accused and innocent. He might be, but we do not know that. And if by some chance the 22 women who raised their hands and accused him of assaulting them and attached their names to charges are telling the truth, then we as a society and the NFL specifically is allowing a glitch in the system to send a loud message to them that they do not matter. And I think we do this. Because we revert to a defense of what if this happened to me? What if it was someone else's word against mine and I couldn't prove that I didn't do the thing I'm being accused of? And I totally understand that. But I also wonder why we don't revert to the other defense of what if this happened to me? As in, what if I was assaulted? Or, My daughter or sister or wife was assaulted. What if it was my or her word against someone else, and I or she could not prove that it happened? What might that be like? If your sister came to you and said, this happened to me, would you say, can you prove it? Would you require her to prove it to you before you'd think about believing her? And if you did believe her because you knew her and you could tell it was true, how would you feel about other people treating her as if they wanted to believe her but couldn't unless she could prove it beyond a reasonable doubt to the courts? And in the meantime, they continued to talk about the person who she said did this to her in glowing terms about how great they are at this thing that they do, how lucky a group would be to have them. It would be infuriating, right? And suffocating. And I can't imagine how powerless one would feel. So I have never been the victim of sexual assault. Thank God. I have been harassed. And I've been in situations that I shouldn't have had to be in. And I'm aware of the power dynamics of that of the constant calculations that are taking place. If I speak up for myself, what are the ramifications for me? What price will I pay? What's the upside? What's the downside? Do I come out with a net positive? And by the way, these are both snap second calculations that you make instinctively based on past history and gut and a read of the room. They're also well thought out calculations. It's kind of a mix. And I'd imagine that there are a lot of people who can relate to that, right? When it, When is it worth it to speak up against something you disagree with? When, it, when is it worth it to call out a microaggression of some sort? We all know that feeling I'm talking about. Some of us probably know it better than others. And I think of what I know about sexual assault and what I know I would feel like if I were in a position to calculate that. And by the way... I've said this before, I've had multiple men in my life over the years say to me when stories like this come up, you would fight it right away. There's no way you would stand for that. I know you. And I legit do not know if they're right. I do not know if I would be willing to re-victimize myself in the manner that I see people who raise their hands being victimized, doubted, treated like they're on trial, expected to be perfect. I see that conviction rate. Less than 1%. And my gut says, I will not win. And until we can send a message to women that they will, they are not going to try. And we should not expect them to. In this case, 22 different women have all told stories that are similar about harassment and assault. And one grand jury said we should not move forward to press charges. And Watson came out. And proclaimed innocence. He said that the truth had come out. And the NFL proceeded as if that is exactly what happened, calling him, pleading with him to come to their team and be their guy. While those 22 women look on, while the rest of us look on, factoring those actions into our future calculations. And for me, (laughs) and people like me, trying to make sense in the process of the pits in our stomach, this is how I feel. This is how I think a lot of people feel. Kind of helpless, really cynical, very confused, and not sure if we're even right. Second-guessing our whole sense of the situation. Because again, he does have a right to presumed innocence, right? So where does that leave us? Where does that leave our relationship with the NFL? And the team that ultimately trades tons of assets to bring in Deshaun Watson, who is undoubtedly an outstanding football player, but who also is, according to at least 22 different women, someone who does not treat women well. How much should that matter? Ultimately, it seems we're all gonna have to figure that out for ourselves. And in order to do that, I think it's very important that we have the facts. And I'm not sure that there is anyone out there who understands the known facts of this particular case better than Jenny Vrentis, who has covered the case for Sports Illustrated and her employer, The New York Times, and joins us now to get us up to speed. Let's break the huddle. I'm up, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Ready, Jenny, I want to establish first what we know to be true. Um, And I guess the easiest place to start there is with the accusations. How many of them are there? Yeah.
1: So right now there are 24 allegations against Deshaun Watson that have been filed in the civil or criminal court system. There were 22 or there are 22 active civil lawsuits. There was a 23rd one that was withdrawn for privacy reasons, but 22 active civil lawsuits. And then of the 10 criminal complaints, eight were plaintiffs and then two were additional women who did not file civil complaints. So there are two dozen in the court that that, you know were filed in either the criminal or civil court system and they all alleged similar things that there was a massage appointment in which deshaun watson turned uh the appointment the direction of the appointment sexual ranging from exposing himself touching women with his genitals uh, ejaculating or in a handful of cases sexual assault. okay so
0: 24 allegations um Are there any that you know of or have heard that's that's formal accusations, right? Mm -hmm. That's people who have actually decided that they're going to go through the court system to try and make something happen here. That's right. Do are, are there people who have accused him but have decided not to follow a legal path that you know of? Yeah. So I, I
1: wrote a story on um, Mary, we called her, it was a pseudonym, her account of a massage appointment with Watson in November, 2019. And she alleged that he engaged in sexual misconduct towards her, which was exposing himself, uh, thrusting his pelvis on the table and you know, she said he invited her to touch and grab his penis, which she declined to do. So she didn't end up filing a criminal complaint or a civil suit, but she shared her account when the civil suits began coming out because she wanted to support those who have come forward. She wanted to share her story so that all of the stories could be taken more seriously. And for us, that account, I think, was important because I was able to independently corroborate that. So I was able to see text messages that she had sent with the person who set up the appointment in which she described the conduct. And the person who set it up basically indicated to her that this she'd heard this before. Um, she had messages with Watson after the fact. He tried to book again, and she explained that he had made her uncomfortable and I just do massage and we'd also talk to a relative of her. So that was a pretty, um, in the understanding of the case, I think it was important because it was a person who wasn't filing suit. She wasn't represented by Tony Busby. And, and we found her just totally on our own by reaching out to massage therapists in the Houston area.
0: What is your standard of reporting with regard to these allegations? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, do you a- need to be relatively convinced that the allegations you detail are true to report them? Is that fair to say? So I think whenever we go through it with lawyers and when I was at Sports Illustrated,
1: you know, we worked on a lot of these stories with our First Amendment lawyers, and they always said, you have to be confident in the story. You have to believe that the facts you're putting out there are true, but also you need to have verification of what you're putting out there. And so we wouldn't go with a story like Mary's if there wasn't that corroboration. So in her case, we had two things. We had both sets of messages. Um, And I also spoke to a contemporaneous witness. So a person she talked to right after the incident. So for us to go forward with a new account that wasn't in the court system, Mm -hmm um you know that was a person we were talking to on our own um and, and there were no uh, associated legal documents with it we had a pretty strict vetting process that we went through and i'm confident in the facts that i put forward in that story and all of the others because anything i've put forward is you know either a firsthand account or you know it's backed up by facts but i make sure that everything
0: is buttoned up before you publish it how would you say your standard is different, like standard to report. How is that different Mm -hmm. than standard to prosecute standard to get a conviction standard, you know, from a court Mm -hmm. system standard and then a journalistic standard?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, because the grand jury makes its decision or the grand jury reviewed nine of the criminal cases against Watson last Friday, of course, and they declined to indict. So they're making that decision based on is there probable cause based on the evidence to indict. And that's a standard, but it's also hard to know how individual people who sit on that grand jury view that standard. It, you know, it's, it's, A standard that can be defined, but each person may look at it differently and also sort of depends on how did the prosecutor present the cases to them? What evidence did she choose to share with them? What information did the grand jury ask to hear? So you're not entirely sure in what way they're making or what information they're using to make that decision. Um, So I think, you know, uh, It's sort of in defining the standard, I guess I can't speak to what the grand jury made its decision on, but I can speak to
0: what we use to report out a story. And you found Mary's specific uh, story to be credible. You found her to be credible. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I found her to be credible. I found her story to be extremely strong. Not only did she have the contemporaneous witness, she had two sets of messages. You know, the veteran therapist who had set up her appointment said to her after the fact when she described some of the behaviors, uh, whether the creepy stuff is his intention or not, he does it every time. Only one therapist hasn't complained. Uh, And then I actually also spoke to the therapist who set up the appointment, and she confirms that Mary did indeed describe these behaviors to her after the appointment. And the veteran therapist then said she talked to Watson about these behaviors, although she wouldn't disclose to me how that conversation went. So I found that her account was very strong, um, which actually is somewhat unusual in cases of sexual misconduct. There often isn't evidence, right? There often aren't text messages. I mean, we always look for photo or video evidence, you know in all kinds of allegations, right? If there's photo video evidence, you know, security cameras or whatever, but that's generally not the case, right? That that often doesn't happen with sexual violence. Many times these are private settings for massage rooms in particular, you know, you're not allowed as a massage therapist to film inside the massage room for patient or, excuse me, client privacy reasons. So, um, I, you know, I think when you talk about evidence, I do think a person's firsthand account is evidence, but I also think some of these do have, a, you know, messages or outcry witnesses that they spoke to at the time that can buttress those accounts.
0: Am I correct that he told the grand jury or his account for all of this was that the sexual acts that did occur were consensual?
1: So that's the defense that his attorneys have put forth publicly. Uh, he wasn't, you know, the, the grand jury proceedings he wasn't at. So he was getting deposed in the okay. civil uh, civil cases at the same time, although in the civil cases he was deposed for on Friday, he uh, exercised his Fifth Amendment right because the criminal court uh, or the grand jury proceedings in Harris County were were ongoing um, from this point forward. He plans to not invoke the fifth and in depositions Tuesday, in fact, did not invoke the fifth. But so the grand jury here is basically a, the, what the prosecutor presents to them. It's it's not the def- defense's side of the story. Right. Um, but yes, uh, his attorney, Rusty Hardin, has said publicly that if any acts occurred during massages that they were consensual that um, they've said in court filings, additionally, that, you know, either implicitly or explicitly the therapist consented one point I'll make about consent too, is that, you know, in a situation like this, where it's a prominent client and a therapist one-on-one in a room, experts say it's very difficult to consent in a kind of situation where there's that kind of power imbalance. It's somewhat similar to, you know, a boss employee type situation where, you know, one person is responsible for your pay and can impact your future livelihood or your career, your ability to make money. And so I think that power imbalance too is important
0: to this conversation. I, there there are so many thoughts that I have on that. And one is um, the, the, and, and I, I think it's tough on both sides, is that when something happens that is shocking, sometimes people don't put up as much of a defense in the moment that it shouldn't happen as they feel afterward when they've been able to process that that actually just happened because they're so caught off guard. And I think that that becomes very tricky in these types of situations too, because maybe in the case of rape, that's so extreme that one would think right or wrong. Well, at some point you kind of have to say, no, if something's happening that you're like, this is generally largely very inappropriate and it's making me feel very uncomfortable and I'm feeling harassed or I'm feeling like, uh, infringed upon in some way and made to feel uncomfortable, maybe purposefully like that's that's a weirder line to navigate until you've been able to process it afterward. That also makes it I could see from a Deshaun Watson standpoint or the defense's standpoint or really anyone that's in that situation saying, well, then, if it's not communicated to me that you don't want that or that it's inappropriate, then how am I supposed to know where that line is? And that feels like a very tricky part of all of this because I think we know that that is true with sexual harassment and assault cases, um, and just in general, putting people in uncomfortable positions. That's a natural reaction to just be like, "What's well, happening?" And I'm, I'm going to my natural defense is to make you feel okay. With this very awkward moment that you've put me in, as opposed to just coming like full force, like, no, absolutely not, you know, I don't know that that's human nature. And so there's a weird element of that here, that I think on the back end, sometimes people look at it and they go, well, you didn't put up that much of a fight, you know?
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good point. You know, you hear a lot of times about fight or flight reactions. I think in cases of sexual violence, freeze is a common response as well. And actually one of the women uh, I spoke to, Lauren Baxley, she filed one of the civil suits and she was the first person actually to file a police report. She had that freeze reaction in the moment. She just didn't kind of know what to do. And After the fact, she said she sort of beat herself up about that. Like, why didn't I run out of the room? Why didn't I stop the appointment immediately? But there are ways in which even if you don't do those kinds of things, you can communicate you don't like behaviors. For instance, in her case, she kept trying to cover him up with the towel again when he would take the towel off and then touch her hand with his penis, right? So by covering the person up or backing away from the table or, you know, sometimes a therapist might move to a different part of the body to try to just like redirect the appointment. All of those things can indicate discomfort, um, with the session. And I think you also hit on a really interesting point too, which is that I think in discussing these cases, people are looking for this one egregious example. Like what is one thing, tell me the worst thing that he was alleged to do. And I think it's important to kind of look at all of them together because maybe you take one specific case and you say, well, that doesn't sound that bad. But if you consider that there are two dozen women making very similar counts taken all together, it appears to be a pattern of behavior, a pattern of behavior that escalated over time, you know, from Mary, who he didn't actually touch with his genitals to some women alleging sexual assault or that he ejaculated on them. So more extreme behaviors. Um, and so I think that, that the totality of
0: the picture is also important to consider here. The recent documentary, we need to talk about Cosby. Um, I can't, I can't shake personally having just watched that it's a four part series and it's a documentary that was really, really well made um, about uh, I mean, uh, the many layers of the whole Cosby situation and the sexual assault and specifically in his case, rape, but then also the pop culture implications and how that really fights with our. Psychology of what we thought we knew about someone and how we held someone to be held so dear that we felt very protective. And like it was so shocking, these charges. And throughout the course of this documentary, there was woman after woman after woman after woman. I mean, they probably had 30 people. I don't know that that number is accurate, but that all told accounts and they were all so similar. To your point about just like the similarities and, you know, when they're in bulk and that that kind of points to a specific story. Um, And the freeze response that you described was so consistent. They were so caught off guard by the fact that America's dad was putting them and they felt so safe. And then they felt so stupid after the fact that they had, in their mind, put themselves in a position for this to happen and beat themselves up about it 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 made the whole case i think from a legal standpoint down the road until he admitted to doing it in ways that were legally troubling and now he's off but um but it 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 made it very hard to um convict because there's no proof because there's no physical evidence because they felt this deep shame about how they had handled the situation there's so much psychology that i think is so interesting That's involved in these types of cases, because the person who has been victimized often doesn't realize until much later on that they were in fact victimized. They feel like they did something wrong to perpetuate the behavior, to make it okay, or that they could have done more. Or I just, I just think that it's such a tricky, it's such a tricky area of the legal system. And when you, when the argument is in defense consent, how do you prove or disprove consent? You know, without there being a camera in the room, there's never going to be that type of physical evidence that says you said yes, you said no. And so how do you even go about getting any kind of conviction on a case like this?
1: Yeah, I think some of the things that you laid out are are really important and speak to why women sometimes don't report. why the behaviors of somebody who's gone through a traumatic experience may not always be what we expect. I mean, you know, in the Harvey Weinstein case, I think that really shed light on the fact that you could continue to have a relationship with the person or continue contact with them. And that didn't mean the assaultive behavior didn't happen. Uh, you know, when I spoke to Ashley Solis, who is the woman who filed the first lawsuit against Deshaun Watson. She's a 28 year old licensed massage therapist from the Houston area. One thing that she said was she sort of understood his, she didn't know who he was at first because she didn't follow sports, but then she saw, she read a little bit about him before the appointment saw his reputation in the community. And so while these things were happening during the appointment, she found herself undermining herself and saying, no, this can't be happening. He's a well-respected person in the community. Uh, She, you know, basically doubted what she herself believed she was experiencing in the moment. And I think that was a really helpful insight about what it could be like to be in a massage room with a prominent person who's taking things in a direction that you don't expect. So, yeah, and I I think this kind of gets back to your earlier point about like, the standard for bringing charges, uh, which is what the grand jury was considering or uh, other parts of the process. But, you know, and, and there's a different standard of uh, burden of proof in civil courts. Uh, that's a preponderance of the evidence versus in criminal court. It's beyond a reasonable doubt. But, you know, I think you present whatever facts are there, um, whatever corroborating information you have, his side presents what explanation they think they have for some of the behaviors. But ultimately, you know, the totality of information, I think, is what needs to be considered altogether. And that's kind of what I've been thinking throughout this whole process is, taking one piece of the process at any point separate from the other. So just taking the grand jury decision to be the end all be all determinant on the case is not fair. Um, Just taking one woman's account is not fair. Um, Also, you need to consider what he's saying, although we haven't heard too much from his side. So, you know, it's it's very complicated to discuss and uh, it's very complicated because there's so much information out there that any conversation really should uh, make sure to include
0: what do you say to someone who says innocent until proven guilty mm-hmm. and until they prove guilty like where 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 are we supposed to come down on that cuz that's mm-hmm. kind of i am struggling with that because mm-hmm. i have a feeling i have a gut feeling it's a pretty strong gut mm-hmm. feeling am i supposed to protect his right you know what i mean like what, what are our responsibilities as a person in society in terms of wanting to uphold the legal system And wanting to maintain the things that we think are so important in terms of being an American and your rights as an American and where those gaps are in the legal system, you know, not guilty doesn't necessarily mean innocent. It's also complicated. Yeah, it is
1: complicated and certainly innocent until proven guilty is an important standard in our country and no charges were brought against Watson. So that is an important piece of the conversation, just like I was saying before. Right. Don't take anything out of context without including all the facts. That is certainly one of the facts. But, you know, I think it's also Fair to say that you can look at the facts that are out there, and the facts that are out there point to there having been some form of misconduct. Now, whether that rises to the level of criminal charges, the grand jury in Harris County, Texas did not believe that it did. But that doesn't mean you can't look overall at the facts that are there and say, I'm not comfortable with this behavior as an NFL team looking to trade for him, right? I mean, that's the NFL has a personal conduct policy. They have you know, a different standard for what they expect uh, out of players and coaches and anyone who works, or, you know, their so employees. They say. Right. Or so they say. Right. And so, you know, as a team, you don't have to have criminal charges to say, look, there's 22 civil suits against him. I've read some of these accounts and the corroboration that is available and I don't want to make this trade or I don't want this person to be my franchise quarterback. It looks like many teams saw the lack of criminal charges as a green light to make a trade for him. But um, I think talking about the lack of criminal charges without talking about the corroborating information and the accounts that are out there, um,
0: you know, I don't think that's a fair representation of the facts. What are the women asking for? The women who have brought charges. Are are there because it, 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 in terms of the civil cases, are they looking for money? Are they looking for something? I know that there are people who think that someone has something to gain by these allegations coming out. Have you found evidence that that could potentially be true?
1: Well, if you know, if you for the women who filed the civil suit, they are looking for some kind of. uh financial compensation for what they've gone through. And that is a direction that many people who have experienced trauma or sexual violence choose to go, um, because the criminal justice system is oftentimes ill-equipped to handle sexual violence for all of the reasons we've just discussed, uh, particularly the fact that the standard often relies on evidence. But in the civil court system, it's, it's a different standard. You can still prove that your, your civil rights were violated. Um, you know, you can still make a case that's different from what a criminal case would be. So a lot of women choose to go that route. And, you know, for Ashley Solis and Lauren Baxley, for instance, I, I've spoken to both of them and their business has dropped off whether because they take on less clients or there are times when they say they're less able to work because of what they experienced in the massage room. So there are a lot of reasons why you would want some kind of financial compensation through the civil court system. Um, But I think also, you know, more broadly, I think there was a hope of speaking up. I think Ashley Solis Mm -hmm. didn't know that what, route she was going to go you know the day after her appointment a colleague of hers reached out to another veteran therapist in houston and said my colleague was solicited by a professional athlete during an appointment at her in-home studio she doesn't know what to do and i think she was just tr- trying to figure out what do i do when this happens how do i respond and she ended up going the civil court route but she also filed a, a police uh, report as did nine other women so I think what they were hoping for going into the grand jury hearing was to know that you could bring allegations of misconduct against a professional athlete and that you would be taken seriously. And, you know, that is um, a difficult thing to do. Right. Your name is out there, your your reputation and or your, you know, your business relies on your name and your reputation. Right. And I think it's very difficult to come forward as a private person to bring forth these allegations.
0: What is the next step? So there will be no criminal charges. What is the next step from a legal standpoint for the people who have made accusations in Deshaun Watson?
1: Yeah. So the 22 civil suits are ongoing. There were two more depositions on Tuesday. There will be more later this month. So right now, Watson has been deposed for four of the 22 civil cases. So there's 18 more that he needs to be deposed in. Um, Speaking to the plaintiff's attorney, Tony Busby, last night, um, he said that it's not his understanding that any of the women want to drop out. There haven't been renewed settlement conversations, although, of course, the cases could be settled at any time. But right now, from the plaintiff side, they're moving forward and they are p- planning to take these cases to trial. From Watson's side, you know, obviously not being charged with any criminal acts was a big win for him. Uh, that was a big hurdle to clear, you know. Teams obviously saw that as a green light to trade for him, which seems imminent at this point. And he could resume his football career. And at the same time, he'll also continue to have to defend himself in the civil cases.
0: You have covered the NFL for a very long time. You have a lot of contacts in and around the NFL. You have covered this case more closely than another reporter that I can think of have any of the teams that are interested in acquiring Deshaun Watson reached out to you to get information? Good question, Lindsay. Um,
1: I've had some off-the-record conversations, so I don't want to get into that all that much. But I will say that I would never share in an off-the-record conversation anything that I haven't reported. So I do the reporting for to put out the information corroborate the information and share it with the public. So anyone who calls me, I say, I've reported all of this. You can read all my articles, but I'm happy to go over what I've written in my articles with you, but um, I'm not sharing anything different than what I've shared with the public because ultimately my job as a reporter is to uncover facts and put them out there into the public. That's the most important part of my job. And I think with this situation, that's always kind of been my North Star the whole time. It's just find out facts, put those facts out there. Um, I think those facts do point to some form of misconduct being committed, but I don't have an opinion beyond what the facts show. I just
0: report the facts and put them out there. Do you think separate from this reporting as an NFL reporter that the teams that are trying to trade for Deshaun Watson are grilling him to find out whether or not he did these things because my, my gut tells me they're in a competition and that they, from a recruiting standpoint, might feel like they might lose that he might pick someone else if they feel in any way threatening which concerns me that they might not be trying to get to the bottom of things, which is why I asked you the question. I asked you not so much to find out any specific details, but I think it's interesting that the answer is not. No, you know, that these teams, it sounds like some people have reached out to you to get information. Uh, I think that that's, that that's interesting, that that indicates that they actually are interested in kind of trying to find out what they're dealing with here, as opposed to specifically trying not to find out what they're dealing with here so that they have, a more clear path to go get their quarterback but i'm i th- i think i have i think i'm a little bit cynical that they are that they're asking him those hard questions right now
1: yeah um and i think it's an interesting dynamic at play here because he has a no trade clause and has to waive the no trade clause for a deal to be executed so you're right they are kind of recruiting him. And of course, he's a talented quarterback. And so there's a lot of people who are interested, even with uh, the information that's out there surrounding the allegations. Um, I mean, the other thing I would say is that I'm not the right person for anyone to be reaching out to. Everything I know I've written um, or I'm only going to tell somebody what I wrote. Um, I think teams should be reaching out to the plaintiff's attorney to see if what he has to say and to see if any of the women are willing to talk to teams, maybe they're not, they've already shared their account numerous times, but you should ask. uh, I think they should be reaching out to the Houston police, the Houston police in in search warrants described the 10 women who filed criminal complaints as credible and reliable. Um, So I think those are the boxes that teams looking to trade for Watson should also be checking because you know, we hear a lot about vetting and we hear a lot about teams doing the due diligence, but oftentimes that's very one-sided due diligence. And even if there aren't criminal charges filed against Watson in Harris County, as the grand jury decided last week, there are still 22 civil lawsuits. There are still behaviors being alleged that, um, you know, you might not be comfortable with. Right. And so I think you should be finding out um, what is his explanation for these allegations that have been made against him. And, you know, if you're going to give him another chance to play in the NFL in light of all the information out there, what steps is he willing to take to earn that second chance? Thank you very much, Jenny. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you for listening. I always say that. I always mean it. If you're still here listening to this particular episode, though, I especially mean it. Um, I'm struggling with this one, and I'm sure that I have not perfectly articulated what I want to articulate. (laughs) And I hope that I haven't sounded sanctimonious because that's annoying. That is definitely not my intent. Um, I just feel like we need to talk about this stuff more that maybe that will help us figure out how to talk about it. And maybe it's not as hard for you. I get that one of the reasons it's hard for me is because I'm talking about broadcasting my thoughts and not just talking to a friend. And the responsibilities that go with that are a little bit more complicated. Um, But I'm also feeling more and more like it's really important that we talk more about this in a real way. I think that that's what my particular pit in the stomach is for. But I would love to hear what you think. I welcome your feedback or thoughts. Do you feel similarly to me after hearing everything that Jenny had to say or not? Let's not gloss over this one and just allow the whole thing to play out right in front of us without taking a beat to think about our role in the general environment surrounding it. And I hope you'll join me next week as we get back to talking football. <laughs> the NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Sex and Podcast Network. The producer is Andrew Emmer. Marissa Rivas is the Acting Director of Sports Podcasts for SiriusXM. And a special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Have a good one.
1: SiriusXM Podcasts.